Hello and welcome to episode 60 of The Thing About Golf, Golf Australia Magazine's ongoing quest to figure out what it is that hooks people on this wonderfully infuriating game. Rod Murray's my name and alongside my colleague John Huggan, we get to talk to golfers from every imaginable corner of the game, writers, administrators, caddies, entrepreneurs, and sometimes when we're really lucky, as we are on this episode, those who've played and won at the very highest levels of the game. Katrina Matthew is one of Scotland's most decorated players, winning the Women's British Open in 2009 and twice leading Europe to Solheim Cup victory. And yet, in her hometown of North Berwick, she walks the streets with barely an acknowledgement of who she is or what she's achieved. And funnily enough, that is just how she likes it. John Huggins sat down with Matthew recently to reflect on her life and career in golf and joins me now. Huggy, I know you chatted about this with Katrina in the interview. Is it a bit of a double-edged Is that just a Scottish thing or is what's going on there? Two-time Solheim Cup winner, British Open winner, and yet wanders around the town. So, is that just Scotland, or is there an underappreciation, perhaps, of what Matthew well, has done you, in the game? The, there's the old saying: "You're never a hero in your hometown." Um, but part of it is that she's she's never lived anywhere else. Um, they're used to seeing her; she's there every day, pretty much, and and she goes to Tesco's and does the shopping and it picks up the kids off the train when they come back from school and all that stuff, and you know. We assume about sort of big-time golfers and stars that they don't do the normal things that we do, but of course they do, don't they? They have kids and they've got to eat, so they have to cook. <laughs> not not everybody has people to do all of those things. I'm sure some do. They're making those, but we forget they are just people, aren't they? At the end of the day, yeah. I mean, she, and she doesn't have very far to walk to the golf course. I'm not going to reveal exactly where our home is for <laughs> obvious reasons, but um, it's not very far. Put it that way. You've known her a long time, Huggy Katrina. I imagine you've been writing about her for a very long time. I have. I mean, uh, yeah, she's a pal of mine, a long-time pal. Um, so I'm basically, I've not got much credibility when it comes to writing about her because uh, I'm conflicted by uh, my relationship with her. Um, but yeah, she's, uh, she's, she's. I've always thought she's got the perfect temperament for golf. I mean, nothing. She's neither up nor down. I mean, she's just, you know, at least outwardly, she doesn't show much emotion either side of the the, the ledger, and perfect for golf, really. Um, the only criticism I've ever had of her, um, and I mentioned it to her, I've mentioned it to her before, but um, she's not won as often. <laughs> I'm as sure she's like heard it before. Yes, yeah, and it basically comes down to her putting. She she's she hasn't been. That's never been the strength of her game. It's not a great weakness, but it's never been a strength. And if she'd putted better, I think she would have won a lot more tournaments. You say that she's got this perfect personality for golf. Is she like that off the course? Well, having known her for a long time, is that just her personality, or is she doing something on the course to maintain? Um, that? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, it's it's not quite the same. Um, I can reveal exclusively that she's very possibly the world's worst singer. Um, <laughs> That's a competitive If you've category. ever heard somebody sing off-key, I mean, she brings it to a whole new level. Um, and, you know, I, I've seen her with a couple of drinks in her now and again, but uh, not for a while. And But she's it, it, on the course, you, I couldn't fault her for how how you should be in a competitive environment, she's got the, she's just, uh, you know, she's the model for that. Easier or harder to do an interview with somebody you know so well, Huggy? Particularly an interview like this, a long form interview, not just talking about the day's play and how was your putting and you hit that bad iron on the seventh, a real sit-down sort of exploration of a life and career in the game. Easier or harder when you know them well? Um, well, it's a bit of both, I think. Um the, the, the upside is, I mean, I've interviewed a few times, obviously, and we, we've stopped and started again a few times because um, 
she plays a straight back to too many questions and I've just said, look, no, this is rubbish. We're not, we're not, <laughs> we're not going any further with this, you know, start again. And she just laughs, you know, so um, in that respect, it, it's easier. But um, yeah, I mean, you're compromised a little bit, aren't you? Inevitably, the the friendship comes first rather than the, the journalist part of it. And hopefully I've, I've managed to, to bridge that gap. Well, it was my last question. How did you feel about having done more than one of these sort of in-depth interviews with her? How did you feel this one went? How do you feel about this one? Yeah, it was good. I think um, she's she's cutting back on her playing now, and I think she's she's happier saying a few things. I mean, if you follow her on Twitter, she's actually speaking out a little bit more than she used to, and I think that, that came, came across certainly when I talked to her. I, I noticed there was a bit of a difference there. Not that she's, you know, ranting and raving from the rooftops, but... Uh, yeah, she's she's got things to say. That's she's very bright, so she's got plenty to say. Which has always been, you know, a pity that she hasn't spoken out more, given her position. I mean, as you pointed out, she was the best. She's been the best Scottish woman golfer for about a quarter of a century, maybe more, um, which reflects well on her, but not well on the rest of them. Um, but yeah, she's. Um, I think I think it was it was in the sort of realm of Katrina Matthew uh, interviews. This one was pretty good, I think. I'm glad to hear you say I love when players like Matthew reach a stage in their career where they're no longer shackled by various business and commercial commitments and whatnot, and we do get to hear because I think you're right. She strikes me as a thinker, and it's going to be wonderful to watch this part of her career unfold. I think we're seeing that a bit with Kari Webb, and yeah. I think we're going to see it with Katrina Matthew. It'll be fantastic. Let's, uh, let's plug in and have a listen, Huggy. Thanks for joining us. Looking forward to the chat. My pleasure. Okay, uh, Katrina Matthew, welcome <clears throat> to the Thing About Golf podcast. Um, as ever, I always ask the first question is always, what was the thing about golf for you? Well, thanks, John. Very nice to be here today. Um, the thing about golf for me, I think, um, obviously, I still live here in North Berwick, grew up here in North Berwick. Um, golf to me was just a game I started playing, um, you know, as a young kid, probably six or seven with my family. It was a great family game something I really enjoyed. I think golf now is, since then, really has been a huge part of my life. Um, it's probably shaped me a little bit, um, you know, just golf. And I think once it's got in my blood, it just stayed there, really. Um, I loved it as a as a kid. Um, I played a lot of different sports growing up, but um, I think golf was just, it was just one of those ones you didn't, I think I played obviously a lot of badminton, a lot of tennis, a lot of hockey, and you had to play with people of the same kind of standard as you. Um, yeah. And I think being so competitive, it just infuriated me if I felt someone wasn't trying their best. Because <laughs> right. I always tried my hardest at everything I did. So yeah. You're better I to think, play somebody that's a wee bit better than you are at those yeah. other sports, aren't you? Yeah. Absolutely. That's where golf, the beauty of golf, I think you can go out. I loved, um, you know, just going out and challenging myself and practicing. And, you know, I could go out, um, you know, just... I remember going out and playing kind of around the loop at North Berwick as a kid, um, just taking our dog out with us and, and just always challenging yourself to see if you could get better. So it was more, I suppose it was more a personal challenge. I could, it was, it was only me who could kind of decide whether I got better or not. And did you like it because for the game itself or did you like it because you were good at it? Probably because I was good at it to yeah. start with, to be honest. Um, well, I think obviously you've got to love it to get good at it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I think obviously I stuck in at golf rather than a different sport because it was the one I was the best at. Um, I think when you're a kid, you always like doing things you're good at. Uh, so that was probably why I stuck at golf rather than another yeah. sport. And when did it occur to you that, you know, I'm actually quite good at that? 
I think probably I played in the Scottish girls because um, sadly when I was growing up there weren't that many golf girls who played golf in this area so I went, you had to go further afield and I played in a Scottish girls which I won I think at maybe 16 or 17 and then I kind of realized I was quite good at that badminton my other sport I was kind of always last in the team in golf I was right. getting first in the team and winning things and as a kid that's what you enjoy and it kind of spurs you on to mm. to get better how was your, um, if I can put it this way, your level of encouragement? I mean, there's, we're getting a lot better, I think, in terms of being a welcoming environment at golf clubs and things. But back in the day, it wasn't great for juniors, and particularly, I would imagine, for female juniors. I mean, what was your experience of that? For me personally, um, you know, my first club I joined was North Berwick. And to be fair, the ladies there were very welcoming. I and mean, at the time, it was kind of two separate clubs. They're now yeah. integrated, but it was North Berwick ladies I joined. Um, they were very happy for me to come and play in the medals. And I mean, you know, as a kind of 15, 16 year old, it was a bit odd playing with probably 40, 50 year olds. Yeah. But uh, they were yeah. all very welcoming and encouraging of me. And then kind of as I got better, I moved along to Gulland, which where at the time there was a lot of other kind of good amateurs yeah, playing there, there which, with, um, yeah. which really helped my golf, actually. They were all just that little yeah. bit older than me and uh, kind of took me under their wing and uh, showed me the ropes. Yeah. What about the other sports? I mean, badminton, you were you were decent badminton player. I mean, what sort of level would you, if you could equate that to golf, did you reach in these other things? Um, badminton, yeah, I managed to uh, squeak into the Scottish uh, junior team. I remember going to Sweden. That was my first uh, trip away as right. a, on yeah. my own. So I went with the Scottish team there. Uh, to Sweden to play in, a, I think, a quadrangular thing, mm. uh, probably Sweden, Denmark, Scotland, maybe yeah. England. So, uh, yeah. But as I say, I was always last in, in the team in that. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. You didn't like the idea of getting beat? No, no. No one does, do they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you picked up the wrong sport for that because you don't win much. Well, more. exactly. True enough, true enough. We'll get into that later, actually. That's one of the questions I've got for you later on. Um, you went to Stirling, uh to find educational establishment, as we all know, you've got to be very clever to get a degree from Stirling. Um, why why do that rather than go to America? Because that must have been an option for you. Yeah, I mean, America was certainly an option. Um, I think, obviously, Stirling had just started up. I think yourself and a few others were kind of some of the first uh, sports scholars there. And I think at the time it was Stirling and Loughborough that were doing uh, sports scholarships over here. Um I think I I wanted I went to Stirling I think probably slightly influenced by my mum and dad um, I think they wanted to make sure you know I got a good degree um, I suppose at the time you you, you didn't know as much about the states and you wanted yeah. to have a degree that was recognised yeah. over here so um, you know I think they probably encouraged me to go there more than anything and and to be honest looking back probably for my golf game it was the best because I still got um, coaching at the time yeah because um, I think you don't always no get one, that in America. No, I don't think you do. I mean, the golf coach is primarily more probably a manager rather yeah. than a coach. But uh, And at the time then, back then, you know, there was no video. There was, there was really nothing like that. So I don't think you perhaps knew your golf swing as well as some of the younger players do now. Was there a hint of caution in all of this? I mean, I, I look at your career and there's three Curtis Cups. I mean, that's, there's not many people playing three Curtis Cups and then turn pro. Usually if you've played that many, you, you, you're a career amateur sort of thing. I mean, the the degree thing would be part of that as well. It took you a while to make up your mind that that golf was going to be the thing, or is that a a wrong assumption? No, I mean, no, it did take me a while. Um, Probably halfway through university, that was when I decided I was going to turn pro. I think 93, I won the Scottish and the British the same year. I'd won 
you know, the Doherty out in Florida. I'd won mm. a college event out in Japan. So yeah. it was probably then I decided I was going to turn pro. But um, I think back then people tended to turn pro a little bit later. That Most people who went to college or mm. university tended to finish their degrees. Yeah. So, I mean, I w- even then I was probably still slightly on the later yeah. kind of stage. Yeah. But, Colin um, Montgomery was the same. He was 24 when he turned pro. Yeah, but I think back then, what's that, 30 years ago now, it was more common to be for people to be early to mm-hmm. early twenties before yeah. they turn pro. All those things that you won there in that year was that the kind of confirmation that I'm actually good enough to do this. Was I there think, any doubt before that? I don't know if there was any doubt, but I think that really, I suppose in my mind, I felt I had done everything. What else was I going to do in the amateur game? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I just felt it was time to to give it a go. Um, I think in a way it was easier for me going to Q school because. In a way, I was probably pretty naive because you didn't get much coverage of the LPJ. In fact, you got zero coverage. Yeah. Maybe you saw Laura or Lucillot yeah. winning a US yeah. Open. but um, So I didn't know what I'd be missing out on if I didn't get my card, which in a way probably made it a little bit easier than it is now. And were you surprised once you got there that how good you were relative to the competition? I don't think so because, as you, I mean, I had played... a you know, a lot of amateur golf worldwide. I think I had finished uh, runner-up in the World Amateur um, where Annika won that year and myself and Pat Hurst were the runners-up. So, um, you know, it wasn't as if I'd just played in, in Scotland and Britain. Yeah. I'd been all over the world playing amateur golf. Mm. So, I mean, I knew a lot of the players and, um, you know, felt it was just I was just ready to go. Yeah. Now take a step back for a minute. Um, what, what was the strength of your game back then and has it changed as you've gotten older? I think the strength of my game, I would always say playing-wise, was probably my um, ball striking. Um, I felt as though I was always a good ball striker, um, always hit my irons well, and then progressed into really uh, driving the ball pretty well. But uh, looking back now, I'd probably say as well uh, the mental aspect. Um, I think I was quite uh, uh, quite very strong in the mind, shall I say. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought you've got the perfect temperament for golf. You know, you've never, I've never really seen you get particularly angry. Even when I, you know, when I was caddying for you and I let the drop, uh, the bag drop and nearly killed you, but uh, that was only one week. Though. <laughs> <laughs> you carried on for a few, you might yeah. have seen a difference. Well, that's true, Ruby. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of temperament coming out. Yeah, exactly. There's a few putts. I think you've missed. always got to have a bit of a temper, but um, people show it in different ways. I mean, I might look very calm, but um, don't get me wrong, I was fizzing inside. Oh yeah, I can believe it. Yeah. Um, I, before we leave the, the amateur game completely, I just wanted to touch on um, where you grew up. I mean. We're, we can almost see the golf course from where we're sitting right now. Um, how much of an asset was that? Or is it just because, you know, living in North Berwick, there's not much else to do? I think probably because living in North Berwick and basically I got into the game because my dad played and my two brothers played. Yeah. And then my mum took the game up when I went mm-hmm. to school. So, um, yeah, probably just circumstances of where I grew up that got me playing golf. Uh, but I was, I was mean, the, the golf course is, is really good. Mm. Even I have to admit that coming from <laughs> nearby. <laughs> But uh, how much of an asset was that when you look at, you think back on it now? You think you, you don't really appreciate it as you grow up, but you look back now, you probably think, oh, that was that was a big help. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. probably right. Um, you know, North Berwick and Gullen, probably where I played um, a lot of my golf as a junior, um, two great golf courses, which at the time you just think, well, they're the local courses that you go and play on. Yeah. So you don't yeah, exactly. think much of it. I was but, the same. Yeah. Um, it's like my kids, they think, oh, living in North Berwick is boring. I said, wait 20 years and you might you'll yeah. appreciate it more. But uh, yeah, I think it was just, I was just lucky to grow up here, but it probably did help my development in, you know, that's probably what made me a great ball striker, hitting off the off the Lynx turf. Yeah, I was going to say that. What part of your game was influenced 
the most would you say? You've probably just already answered that. But. Yeah, I think the ball striking. I mean, I think anyone who's played Lynx golf, um, you know, you have to strike it. Um, I've never really taken much of a divot, which yeah. probably because of growing up here, mm-hmm. I'd be injured and have a sore elbow if I was taking a divot well, out here in the I summer. Know. Well, there's nothing like hitting <laughs> irons off that turf, though, is it? Yeah, you yeah. just get that lovely smack of the iron, yeah. I think, when you when you yeah. really connect with one. Exactly. Anyway, um, we're, we're, we're on the LPGA Tour. Um You've arrived. You got your card right away, I'm assuming. I did, yes. Yeah. Um, what yeah, was funny story there. I actually yeah. had um, Chuck Moore caddied for me in the final Q school who caddied for Larry Mize. And that we got to know him because he just happened to knock on my mum and dad's door one day when the Open was at Muirfield um, looking for somewhere to stay. Right. And we were friends ever since. And he actually caddied for me at Q school. And then when I won in Mexico, he was caddying. He was the one that was on the back when Mice chipped in at the Masters, was he? He wasn't that one, no. 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 That's a pity. That's a yeah. pity. That, would have, that would have made the story <laughs> that, that even, better. even better. A, a great anecdote <laughs> would, have been, yeah, would have evolved, yes. Um, so anyway, so, you know, early on, what what were your, you know, how, how well were you doing right away? I mean, I, I, mean, I suppose right away, um, my first year was a, a very strange year. I remember playing in Florida and, of course, Bizarre Me, being rather stupid, asked um, Deb Bouchardo, had she played in tour long? And then Gray and my husband turned around and said, oh, yeah, she's won six times. I said, oh, my God. So I probably didn't say another word for <laughs> yeah, the rest yeah. of the round. Yeah. Um, and then played in Hawaii. And then my third event in Tucson, I was actually heading to TM's Russia Hospital and needed emergency surgery and was out for probably about six weeks. But, I mean, as you are at that age, you probably, I probably came back too soon and kind of struggled that first year and, and I think just managed to to keep my card. Was it your appendix? Um, an ovarian cyst oh, right. that had okay. twisted. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll get too deep into that. <laughs> we'll, move, we'll move quickly Swiftly on. Swiftly on. Um, you mentioned your your husband, Graham, there. I mean, he's, uh, he's been on the bag for a, a good chunk of your career. Um, that's not always the, the best policy, but you seem to make it work. I mean, talk yeah, a bit about that. I mean, that. I think... Um, we decided kind of early on, um, you know, we'd met at university and he went on and did his three years qualification and, um, you know, became a qualified um, CA. And when he, the day, I think the day he qualified, he quit and came out to caddy for me. I think we decided that if he didn't do that, we'd never see each other. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was, he wanted to come out and caddy and we thought it was a good idea. And luckily for us, I think, luckily I think I played pretty well most of my career. I didn't really have... Um, ups and downs um I think it would have been difficult if you'd had ups and downs and like anything if you're playing well and doing well it's all hunky-dory yeah um but like anything you're some weeks were better than others well yeah I'm, I'm getting to that. I want to I want to know there's got to be some moments that you would like to share with the I think he's probably threatened to drop the bag on me a few times uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> T- tell me how that goes though oh, it's just I think you know obviously having having Graham you know he I think it was it's probably more difficult in a way because he's wanting me to do so well, which makes it mm-hmm. even harder, I think, to caddy yeah. uh, when things aren't going quite so well. Cause, and you want someone there because, I mean, life on tour, at the end of the day, it's just you and your caddy and your kind of family that are wanting you to do well. It's pretty cutthroat. Yeah. So, um, you know, to have him there caddying, I think for 99% of the time, it was a great support, but obviously we did have the odd argument. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm going to pin you down on this. I want an example. I mean, come on, there's got to, there must be or a an moment. Example. That, that... He, I'm sure he could reel off loads. I tended yeah. to just yeah. forget them. Yeah. Um, what can I think of? I do remember at one US Open, I think we did have, I was going to, I think it was um, Black Wolf Run, and I was missing the cut. It was really hot, and 
I remember a couple of the other caddies, we got to this par three and I think I'd messed up the hole before and we weren't perhaps um, speaking too much to each other. Had Communication been, had kind of fizzled out, shall yeah, we say. Yeah, yeah. And it was like the 35th hole, so it was kind of over. Yeah. So I think I said, oh, what was the yardage? And I just got the yardage book thrown down. You find it. So right. then I kind of start pacing out my yardage yeah. and uh, yeah. the other caddies are just laughing. But I mean, it was it was just kind of things like that. All right. Well, it's the usual, you know, the wrong club, just, wrong yardage, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I, I think that it just yeah. probably escalated a little more sometimes because he was wanting me to do so well. Aye. And did you take that back with you to the hotel afterwards? Did, did things linger? Did you take We had a few golf quiet afterwards? meals, shall we say. Yeah. Instead of not yeah. talk golf, we just didn't talk. <laughs> Very good. Now, you, you touched on this a little bit. Um, the, the only... The only real criticism I've ever had of you as a as a golfer is that you didn't win more often. You've heard me say this before. What were the reasons for that? Or is it true? Do you feel like you underachieved in terms of wins? And- I think golf is it is very difficult to win. But mm-hmm. I would agree with you. I I would have liked to win more. And, and you know, I had a ridiculous amount of top tens. Yeah. Um, well, you know, eighteen I, top tens in majors. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I wish I'd won more. Um, you know, if I could have pinpointed what was holding me back or why I couldn't just get it across the line, that would have been would have been great. Uh looking back, it's it's always difficult to say, isn't it? Could it have been my putting? Perhaps could have been a little more aggressive at times. Um yeah, I mean obviously I would have wanted to win more um than I did and and probably felt I should have won more than I did. Mm. Um I suppose you can always say it was at a time when Annika was winning nine a year, Carrie Webb was winning seven a year, yeah. and then you had Lorena and Sari. But every every yeah. every era can say that. So that's just a kind of an excuse really. Mm. Is there one that you look back on with a particular disappointment? I think the uh well what is now the Chevron Championship, the Dinosaur when I was playing in it, um I think it was the year Morgan Pressel won. I think Suzanne had kind of a, she kind of had it won and then had a kind of mess up on the back line. Yeah. And I just needed to par the, either, I think it was a, at the time, I didn't know at the time, but I knew obviously I was in contention. I was a few groups in front, but looking back apart, the last would have got me in a playoff with Morgan. And, um, you know, I duffed up, I kind of messed up my layup and then was kind of in between yardages and, kind of the ball ran off to the right and then a terrible three putt. So that's probably one I really kind of regret. Yeah, there's always one, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And it, that was actually just coming back after having Katie. That was about my third right. tournament back. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it would have been quite a good story to have well, won true. two majors. Well, well, yeah, well, I was going to say, we're getting to that. The, the flip side of that, of course, was the, the win at Lytham, which was remarkable in many ways. I mean, you played so well, but the, the fact that you played so well so soon after giving birth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously that was completely out of the blue and completely yeah. unexpected. I mean, I went into that week um, hoping to get probably, a, my goal was probably a top 20. I'd kind of set myself a top 20 to, I think it was Alison Nicholas who was the Solheim captain that year. And it was just to try and get into the reckoning and, you know, sure, I was kind of back playing and playing well. And, uh, you know, if there was a, a space available for me in the team, yeah. uh, you know, I was ready to to take that pick. Do you think that lowering of expectations was actually a good thing in a way? Oh, definitely. I think, um, you know, especially the British, um, I think being British, you'd go in and you always put probably too much pressure on myself. And then on a Lynx course, everyone thought, you've grown up playing Lynx golf, you should be an expert at Lynx golf. But, um, you know, over the years, I actually hit the ball high, uh, which coming from where I do is bizarre. But um, 
So yeah, I mean, I definitely put too much pressure on myself. And that week, you know, I went in and I remember saying to Graham, I said, I, I kind of bizarre, amazingly laughed if I had the odd bad shot because I kind of said, well, what do you expect? Yeah. You're going to hit the odd bad yeah, shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wish I could have had that attitude well, the yeah. whole time. But if yeah. you're practicing, you know, the whole time you... you yeah. You stupidly think you're never going to hit a bad shot, which is, and then so you get mad. Yeah. <laughs> and what did you do particularly well that week apart from attitude? Um, I didn't go in a bunker. I remember, you know, I think I'd really, we had a really good um, game plan, um, you know, laid up. I remember on two and three, which anyone who's played Lytham, they're kind of bunkers, certainly from where we yeah. were teeing off you don't right want to go in the line. Bunkers at Lytham. <laughs> <laughs> and if you went, and they were quite, at the time, they were quite long par fours. So if you went in them, you were basically playing out and then you were struggling. It was going to be a good bogey. Yeah. So I would lay up with maybe a five wood and then perhaps if a three wood in, I reckoned I was better, even if I missed the yeah. green with a three wood, I was up there you with a chance of a chip four. and yeah. putt. Yeah. Otherwise, I was looking at kind of a bogey or, yeah. or a double. So, um, you know, I don't think I went in a bunker all week. Certainly not a fairway bunker. Yeah. And what did that feel like? Is it a kind of vindication of your career? I mean, how? what was the sort of feeling afterwards probably not at the time but you know two days later you ever think about it yeah I mean I suppose at the time you just, I just couldn't quite believe it to be yeah. honest yeah. Um, you know it was only my second week back I think uh, I'd had Sophie probably 11 weeks before that yeah. so um, it was all a bit of a whirlwind I mean it was over I had one we had driven back home and you're back kind of up feeding Sophie at three in the morning yeah. and yeah. you know obviously Katie at the time was probably two and a half so uh, it was busy and then it kind of whirlwind I remember coming home and you know, the next day there was about three media trucks sitting outside our driveway. It was all, it was all, it was probably took a, a while to kind of sink in and, yeah. and probably not till a few years later, it really sunk in what, what an achievement it was really. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, were you driving back up the road and, you know, turn to Graham and say, we really must have more children. This is, this is working. We need to, this is the system from now on. We should have started earlier. Well, maybe so. Yeah, maybe so. Um, you touch, again, you're touching on things that are on my list here. Um, the media trucks outside the the house. I mean, uh, ladies' golf in general doesn't get anything like the publicity it, it probably deserves. And I once wrote a column. Uh, it was the open qualifying here at North Berwick, and I was there watching, and the, the, the scoreboard up just outside the clubhouse there. And I looked up, and you'd just been, I think it was the week before, you'd been something like sixth or something in the US Women's Open. And there you were walking, Pat, you are pushing the, you know, Push chair thing, and he had a Tesco, you know, bag hanging from the back, and and nobody even looked. And there, well, you, and there you were living here, isn't it? Well, yeah, that's part of it. But yeah, I mean, it struck me that if it'd been a man who'd been sixth in the U.S. Open the week before, and he was walking past, there would have been people going up and. Well, maybe the non-locals. I think the locals just, yeah. you know, you're just. I'm just Katrina, I'm, I'm just uh, a normal well, yeah, person. I, I in get a way. that, but that, my, my bigger point is mm. that you know, yeah, I mean, you I don't think, get the recognition. I don't. I think um, you know. I think in the last ten, fifteen years, or certainly the last ten years, it's it's improved a lot. Um, women's golf and women's sport in general is getting a lot more recognition. Mm. Um, I think you just see that and how the prize money is going up in in all the events. Um, I mean, I think back then. I mean, at the time, it felt like a lot of recognition, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. Uh, it's just, I think it's heading in the right direction, which is good. Mm-hmm. How has that evolved in, on the tour? I mean, the, you, you talked about Annika and Carrie Webb. I mean, they, they won you know multiple times routinely. It's getting harder to win. Nobody's really doing it that often now, which speaks to a greater depth. Mm. I mean, I, I mean, I for one, I like watching the women now, the top women playing far more than the men because I don't like the way the men play or play the courses. Mm. 
the women play the courses the way they were designed to be played, far more than the men do. Yeah, there's a much greater variety of shots, um, you know, played, I think, probably on the women's tour. Uh, par fours are, are par fours. Yeah. Uh, they're not a pitch and a putt. Um, oh, yeah. And par fives are... I still think they probably play a few of them too long. Um, mm-hmm. It would be nicer and more exciting to see them, some of them more reachable. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think the the strength and depth in the women's game as well is increased. You can just see that. For, I think there's 27 different nationalities now on the LPJ yeah. and yeah. probably about 20 on the LET. Yeah, I mean, winning three times now is pretty good. Winning three times. I mean, Jin Young Ko yeah. last year was, yeah. and Jessica. I mean, Nelly were phenomenal seasons, really. Yeah, yeah. nobody's doing it nine times anymore. No, I... I I really probably couldn't see that. I mean, you could never say never because, I mean, look at Tiger came along. But, um, you know, it's a bit less and less likely to happen, I think. Um, Just with the the strength and depth, um, you know, you've got all the Asian players now, the the Thailand's producing some great players. Um, You know, obviously the Japanese, the Koreans. Yeah, I think they're great fun to watch. I mean, I think more people should go and watch them because it's just, as you say, Far greater variety. It's not mm. just smashing away off the tee and wedging it onto the green from anywhere, basically. No, no. And and the women's game as well is is, is going the same way as the men's game. The players are getting bigger, stronger, yeah. hitting it further. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's maybe, a, you know, we're making But the, the courses are still long enough that, um, you know, we're still playing a, a proper par four. Mm. There was a kind of a stushy, a, or minor stushy last year, I think it was, when the, the women... I was reading about the women were getting upset about the the setups. There was some complaints about the way the LPGA courses were set up, and I remember thinking, you know, what this is. I don't get it because they were they were complaining. Some well, of the women were, were complaining about the scores relative to the men's scores, and they wanted to be twenty under winning. No, well, I think though, John, you're yeah. obviously know about golf, but if you're yeah. a general person who doesn't know perhaps a whole lot of golf uh, about golf. Sees the men at thirty under and the women at fifteen under. Yeah. Think, well, they're not as good. Yeah. Whereas, relatively speaking, you know, we are yeah. playing the courses a lot longer, mm-hmm. um, yeah. pound for pound, than the mm-hmm. men are. No, I mean, obviously, the men are great. Don't get me wrong, but um, I'm sure probably a lot of them would rather have more variety in the mm. courses they play. Yeah. So, how did you feel about that at the time? I mean, what's what was your feeling? Uh, is there a case to be made? Are the courses set up the? the, the way I think like probably. To... You know, it is frustrating because if we played course where we were playing hitting the same clubs in as the men it would be very short yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> um i think probably the way to go is to rein the men's game in so that they're playing the courses how it should be played well, that was honest. my point that the men should you be know copying the women, not a, the women copying yeah. the men yeah. yeah yeah but and then you get the people who argue it's meant to be entertainment but it's I, I think probably eventually they will rein in because you can't keep making golf courses longer no and you can just uh, the you're just getting better and better athletes, whether it's the the equipment, the ball, the the players are bigger, they're stronger, they're working out more. Mm-hmm. You know, they're far more into their health and nutrition yeah. and, and being in the best shape they can be. So um, something's got to change or else you'll be having to have a 10,000-yard course. Right. Well, that's where we're headed if you don't do anything about yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, the, it was interesting, I think, the, when I caddied for you in the Vic Open what, two or three years ago now, it's difficult to, to make the course fair um, especially on the last day, I think we talked mm. about that at the time, was the clubs that you were hitting to the pin positions that they had the course were in play on that day. It's incredibly difficult for you at a six iron closer than 20 feet, whereas the men were hitting wedges and, and had chance to these tight mm. pins. So it's very, it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, to, to but I suppose you could see for us to be hitting a wedge and we'd be having to play the course well, at like 6,000, ah, which exactly. yeah. people would then look at and think, oh, they're playing right. a pitch and putt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
But I think the the, the comparison between the two is a, is not a road that you should go down ever. So yeah, the no, different I mean games, it's you know. it's very difficult because yeah. I mean I think even if we were hitting a six iron and the men were hitting a six iron, they're putting so spins. much more spin on it. We probably need to hit. Yeah, they, you know, they, and then I think in yeah. in the bad weather as well, they've just got that uh, you know in windy weather. What strength comes in? They've got that strength just yeah. to keep the ball. They can hit a a softer shot and still get the distance in yeah. the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and how do you feel about it? what's the sort of level of rough on LPGA tours events? I mean, it can't be too tough. No, we just we physically aren't strong enough. That's I mean, right. I, I never quite get that comparison. I mean. I'm never going to be able to compete off the same tees against a top guy. No, of just, not. It's no. just not physically possible. No. And I don't know why anyone would really want to, to be uh, honest. Yeah. yeah, it makes no sense. It makes no sense to me. I mean, we're never going to be, we're not built the same way. So we're never going to hit at the same distance. So you, mm-hmm. you can't compete off the same tees. So that's why golf is so good. Why I could go out and play with a 36 handicapper and give them mm-hmm. 36 shots and, and have a good game. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel about the? You, you look at it, you know, from a from slightly from a distance that the men's game and the distance argument. I mean, how do you feel about that? I mean, I, my my views on this are well known. I think I think, I think we should be bifurcating. I think the, yeah, the I think role. they've got to rein in the ball for yeah. the top pros um, mm-hmm. because it is. I mean, I love watching golf. I mean, I'm a bit of a golf nerd, and I love mm-hmm. watching golf on on TV. But you know, at times the men's game to me just gets a little dull because it's all it just infuriates me that they hit wedge everywhere yeah and there's no there's no real benefit in hitting the fairways um yeah i mean i'm not offended by the low scores i think if, no because they're i mean they obviously should, should. i've seen yeah. seen them up close and playing and they're yeah. they're i think the better players would probably want that as well because yeah. they would showcase them more Absolutely. yeah my problem is, is how they achieve those low scores i mean if if there's I always go back to US Open and Cabrera won. I think I've mentioned this before on here, but um, I remember watching Tiger. I think it was the third round. Tiger at the top of his game went out and shot 69. Now, there's something wrong with the golf course. If Tiger at the top of his game shoots 69, they've tricked it up. You know, if Tiger at the top of his game on a properly set up course should shoot 63. Mm. You know, that that was my point. What always infuriates me is, you know, and that's over the years. I mean, it's maybe, maybe improving, but. You know, you get, say, a woman go out and shoot 63. Oh, of course, it's too easy. Aye. But you get a guy shoot 63. Oh, great golf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all perception, isn't so it? it that kind of, that's always infuriated me, actually. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah I, think they, I think they will eventually change something in the men's game. Otherwise, mm-hmm. too many of the great courses will be obsolete. Well, they already are. I mean, it'll be very interesting at St Andrews this year. I mean, I mean but... Lynx course, I mean, everyone, will, if there is no wind, they will shoot a zillion under, but Lynx, any Lynx course, really, yeah. if you're a good player, mm-hmm. if there's no wind, Lynx courses are designed to be played in wind. Yeah, well, this has been mentioned on this podcast before with, with other people, and they they kind of agree with me. I mean, I'm, I think if it's a flat calm week, we'll see Someone mul- will shoot probably 59. We'll be multiple scores in the top, in the high 50s, I think, you know. But then. <sighs> Does, it, does, you, that you could go to any, does that really matter? I mean, but you could come in the next year and play it in 30 miles an hour and Aye. even par wins. Mm. I mean, that's you can't trick up a golf course too much. That's that's Lynx golf, I think. It, yeah. It's more weather dependent than anywhere else. I mean, and playing in the US, the weather doesn't come into it quite so much. No. I mean, I'm more offended by the fact that they've grown all this long grass on the old course. I mean, the... I'm using the example again, the, the, the principal snows bunkers on the 16th. I mean, the rough is coming in there and it's only a few yards from the bunkers. That's not what the old course is mm. about. You know, it's, it's, it's even more offensive on that course. Right, yeah. Where, where there shouldn't be any long grass. No, down, no, you know? yeah. 
but uh, anyway. So the the women are getting it right, are they? I mean, are they heading in the right direction, course setups and things, and and not really caring about the men? Or is there less? Well, I think that? they do care about the men. I think hopefully the men will will do something. Otherwise, will the ladies? Like I say, because if the men are shooting thirty under, we're shooting fifteen under. The perception from a lot of the average fan is that we're not as good. So, yeah. it'll be interesting. I think the one one place I think they could get more creative is on the par fives and make a few more risk reward holes. Yeah, I mean, so the- many of our par fives are oh, they call it reachable if you can get there with like a three wood. <laughs> uh, yeah, but then we sometimes don't help ourselves. Well, the last hole, <laughs> that, the Dinah Shore one, the. That should be played up the up to you every single time. It's far it, more exciting. It becomes a hundred yard par three, yeah. you know. Yeah. Unless you put a you know a board at the back of the green and let people. What was that all about, by the way? Yeah. Was that in hindsight? Wasn't their finest <laughs> oh, my move? My goodness, it's just horrific. <laughs> but um, uh, we need to get into the Solheim Cup. Obviously, that's been a, a huge part of your career. Um, got off to a wee bit of a shaky start, though. I want to take you back to 1998. Um, it's not all been sweetness and light for Katrina Matthew in the Solheim Cup. What was that like at the time? Yeah, 98, I played. That was my first one, Muirfield Village. Um, <clears throat> you know, obviously delighted to to get picked for the team. I think I'd won the Australian Open in 96 and obviously I'd been doing well in the LPGA. And, um, you know, it was... It was kind of scary, actually. I remember going in and I didn't know that many of our team even. Right. Um, yeah. You know, and suddenly you're there with kind of Laura and Alfie and Alison yeah. Nicholas and Trish and kind of all these people I've looked up to and watched um, and was fortunate enough to go out and play with um, Annika. Um, yeah. You know, she was my partner quite a lot in the Solheim. Helped. Um, yeah. Always helps. Yeah. So, um, you know, I had a great partner and, you know, it was a, it was a great experience. I think that... Um, we were beaten, I think, fairly easily. Um, I had the great honour of losing the losing that point. That was my point. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Which wasn't wasn't wonderful. I think that probably spurred me on to want to do not to be in that position again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, was it the next one at Loch Lomond where you were <clears throat> you were out and you were in and then you were out again? Um, yeah, that was yeah. a bizarre bizarre kind of uh, situation. Um, I think um, one of the players, I think it was Helen, was perhaps was injured and would she play or wouldn't she play and. I'd, I suppose, slightly controversially not been picked. And anyway, I didn't Slightly play. controversially. I remember <laughs> writing about that. It was more than just slightly, you know. In the past. Now. Yes. In yeah, the past. Yeah. But did that kind of thing, were you getting put off a wee bit by the Solheim Cup or did that just make you think, right, even more determined? We need to do something about I think this. that made me even more determined. Yeah. 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 Well, it got better after that fairly quickly. Um Run me through the the highs and lows of it. I mean, mostly highs, I think. For yeah, I mean, obviously, I played. Um, I missed those. I played Muirfield Village and then missed the next two, and then played in the next eight. So um, yeah, I mean, obviously, a highlight would be Barsabak, um my first winning team. I yeah. think that was two thousand and three. Yeah, kind of all got messed up a little with nine yeah. eleven, but um, yeah, that was. Uh, I think that was the first. Went to that one and the crowds were just huge, I remember, or felt like it at the time. Yeah. It was quite a tight um, tree line course in places and just the Swedes had come out in force and the fairways were lined and we ended up winning that very comfortably. Um, but the singles, I remember it came down. I remember, Well, well in fact, coming in, back, I played, yeah. I played with Janice Moody, which was great fun. Yeah. I had three games with Janice, um, which I think we won all three. And, you know, I'd played amateur golf with Janice. We played in the in the Scottish team together. So, you know, was that was a that, great was partnership. That, it was, was great fun. Was that she had a Scottish accent? Was it? <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that was great fun playing with her. And then, um, obviously, the singles, you could just tell from the leaderboard, it was coming down to myself or Annika was playing behind me, I think. Right. So it was coming down to one of us as to who would get the winning point. And 
luckily for me, it came to me the 17th. I remember I am Barca back straight, dead straight par four uh, towards the water. And I remember putting two nice shots onto the green. I think driver, eight iron, I was playing Rosie Jones. And she, the, I suppose the one the one thing, if I'm being, uh, if it, to make it even better would have been, she ended up, she'd missed a green and then chipped up, missed a putt. So she ended up conceding. Ah, right. It would have been nice yeah. to have a putt for you it. You didn't actually hold it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do remember Sophie Gustafson just about knocking me over as she raced onto the green. Right. Uh, but that, that was great fun, that one, I must say. That and then um, probably Colorado. Um, I think one of the best moments, which bizarrely I wasn't even playing. Um, it was the Saturday afternoon and I think Lisa Lott had put out, I think we had a lot of rookies that year and she'd put out all the rookies in the afternoon. And I remember sitting with Suzanne and Anna and Graham behind the 18th green. And I think um, I think one game won maybe on 17 and then the other three games all came up 18 and we happened to win them all. And that was great fun, just sitting there cheering them on. And I remember Karine Ishe hitting a great putt down. I think she maybe hold it. And that was one of the best moments, actually, was sitting watching that. Yeah, There's nothing like winning as a team, is there? It's there isn't, yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I think golf's so individual that, um, you know, to have that opportunity. I always loved team golf as an amateur. Um, they were the, the best memories. Um, you make great friendships. And I think that that's probably why I loved the Solheim Cup so much, because it was that team element. You had all... You kind of your whole team there, and the captains and the caddies, and yeah. everyone was together. Rather than you know, normally on tour, it's it's really just you and your caddy. Yeah. Luckily yeah. for me, yeah. it was no great. one else cares. Yeah, no one else really yeah. cares. No, <laughs> people even say, "Well, I shot seventy Most people are thinking, "Well, I wish it was seventy nine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and plus, and there's nothing like stuffing the Americans. Let's face it. You know, no, no. Yeah, I mean, so. that's a, it's yeah. a great feeling. Is there much banter on the tour? Um, Solheim banter. Yeah. I think there is, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, we all play against each other uh, week in, week out. So you all, you kind of all know each other. Um, so yeah, but they're as desperate to beat us as we are to beat them. I think absolutely, <laughs> they should be. Yeah. yeah, we're all competitive. We wouldn't be out there if we weren't competitive. Yeah. So have you got any pals on the other side? You know, I was um, Wendy Ward. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I always seem to play her. Laura Diaz. Um, you know, played them a lot in mm-hmm. in Solheim's. But you know, yeah, you, you've answered another question. You're a politician. You're turning. You're, that wasn't the question I asked. I was asking you if you've got any pals on the other well, side. Well, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, they, I, yeah, can't, I yeah. do uh, peloton rides with Laura still. All right, uh, she's okay. got a peloton now. So I mean, it's things like that. Wendy, you know, I played Curtis Cups with, so I'd known her since then. So we've been then. She ended up being uh, vice captain, I think, for Julie. So um, it's always great to catch up. I think mm-hmm. it's in kind of things like that. You cannot see someone for five years and suddenly you see them and you're, you just kind of take off from where you were. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I don't want to skip over your playing career in the Salheim too much, but there, there, there was, you know, you got hauled in at the last minute in your last one as a player. Yeah, in Des Moines, yeah. that's so right. That, that was kind of strange. What was that like? That must have been difficult. It was quite tricky. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it was difficult. Um, you know, I hadn't hadn't been playing great, if I'm yeah. being brutally honest. And um, yeah, you, you weren't know, feeling bad about not being. I wasn't in the team. being. No, wasn't feeling bad about not being yeah. in the team. Um, and then Suzanne got injured. Danica obviously had told me at Kings Barnes that she was going to put me. You put one name in an envelope. Right. Um, she told me that you'd never expect to get pulled out of no. it. Um, and then obviously got pulled in, I think, on the Wednesday, Suzanne, um, you know, couldn't play with her back injury. So, um, yeah. And then bizarrely, then suddenly get put out in the foursomes, which Aye. I must say was a little odd. Aye. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. Um, and then obviously loved playing with Karine, actually. I uh, yeah. thought we were quite similar personalities in a way and just yeah. kind of got on with it. And uh, yeah, I ended up playing actually really well. I remember I playing um, Stacey in the singles and I think she was... 
was she maybe two up or three up with maybe eight to go? And I had Mikey caddying for me. He was meant to have been caddying for Suzanne. And um, I remember saying to him, well, this is going to be my last singles, so um, I don't want to lose it. Yeah. Um, and somehow managed to pull it out, uh, win on the, on the last screen. Yeah. What was your um, match play philosophy, if you like? Um, everybody's different. And did you pay attention to the other player? Did you play the course? And where, where? I think definitely. That was why I think I love match play so much. Definitely um, pay attention to the other player. Yeah. Um, I actually bizarrely, every, I know everyone always says um, foursomes is so difficult, but bizarrely, I actually find foursomes easier uh, than four ball. Mm. Um, whether my record shows that, I don't know. But well, I, um, I, I, to be fair, <laughs> I, I didn't look up your foursome, but you're you're six and a half out of nine singles in the Solheim, which is pretty chunky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but foursomes, I just loved. I think always in four ball. I think I tried too hard. I tried to probably change my game too much. Well, you were never to make one for birdies. making lots of birdies, no. right? Yeah. No. So. so I think that's where probably foursomes really suited me. And singles, um, you know, loved it. It was just you against the other person, wasn't it? I mean, I was always now with the attitude. It didn't really matter what I scored as long as I beat the other person. Yeah. If you had to shoot two over to beat them, fair enough. If you had to shoot five under, well, mm-hmm. shoot five under. Yeah, well, my experience of team golf is uh, there was always a couple of people on the other team that you thought, nah, I'd rather not. And I would imagine that you would have been one of those people for the Americans. I mean, they'd all be thinking, you know, quite happy to, you know, obviously you play, but um, I'd rather not play Beanie. Mm. I'd rather play somebody else, you know, which is a nice compliment. Yeah, which is a great compliment to have, actually. Yeah, yeah. 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 When, when was the the best golf that you played in the Solheim? Hmm. Um, I would probably say, obviously, Barca back. Probably those those middle ones I played in. Um, I think the first first probably one. I was pretty nervous. Um, you know, it was all new. You're just kind of getting used to it. I wasn't certainly the the standout rookie uh, like I say Leona or Charlie were in uh, their ones. Yeah. Um, so I think those those ones I played in the middle were probably where I played my best golf. Towards the end, um, I think the nerves start um, jangling a bit too much. Because yeah, yeah. um, I think when you're at your best, that that's what you love as a professional golfer is being under the gun and having that pressure. But I think at the start of your career and the end of the career, that's probably, you know, where yeah. the pressure probably gets to you yeah. the most. Yeah. When you're peaked in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, inevitably, we have to talk about the captaincy. Um, you... <laughs> Remarkably, uh, I, I was, I must admit. Quite I, remarkable. Well, no, I mean, the fact it had never been done before, that's remarkable. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I did have misgivings, I must admit, when you took it on the second time, because I thought, can it really get any better than, than the way it finished at Glen Eagles? You know, Suzanne Peterson hole in the pot, retiring. I mean, it doesn't get any better. No, than it that. doesn't get any better than you that. Know, and yeah. I absolutely love being captain. Yeah. Um, you know, people said, people would always ask me, oh, are you nervous? Are you nervous? And I'm going, no. I said, as a captain, you could go, you could actually enjoy your Solheim Cup more because right. you could wander yeah. onto the tee, not having to hit a shot, yeah. not having to play, not yeah. having to worry about winning. Yeah. Uh, so you could really enjoy it and kind of savour the atmosphere. Once you had put your team out, what could you do? Yeah. I mean, I remember I, when I took it on the first time, I remember saying to Graham, I said, well, if I win, everything I've done has been great. And if I get beaten... yeah." Everyone You'll be, will be second guessing. Exactly. So yeah. I think as long as you go in with that attitude mm-hmm. that you're going to do your, I was going to do my best and try and prepare and yeah. put out what I thought was going to be the best team. And if they won, they won. And if they didn't, it was all my fault. Yeah. So. Hey, what was your philosophy on pairings and things? I mean, everybody's got a, a way of I think, doing it. Um, was it personality driven, game driven? A little a bit, bit of everything, actually, yeah. to be honest. Um, a little bit of personality 
little bit of game. I think Glen Eagles um, was certainly for foursomes was a, a strange type of course where I think one player, if everything was played, you know, in regulation, one player in the foursomes was going to get all the iron shots and the other player was going to get all the putts. Yeah. Um, I remember Paul McGinley telling me that. Um, so that obviously influenced a lot of the, the pairings at uh, Glen Eagles. Um, and then obviously just putting someone like a Suzanne with an Anne Van Dam. I mean, I think I remember speaking to Suzanne and saying she was moving from you know, from being that kind of player who was going to go out and make all the birdies. And I said, look, you just go out and play your game, throw in a few birdies and let Anne do all the fireworks. Yeah. So, and then, it, so I think in that respect, it's, it's, um, pairing people, because I think like even an Anna and a Georgia partnership, which worked so well in Des Moines, perhaps wasn't going to work quite so well in Glen Eagles because yeah. Georgia had progressed yeah. from the kind of rookie to she had won the major. Anna probably, if you asked herself, wasn't playing her best at Glen Eagles. Yeah. Um, so I just felt that partnership wasn't probably going to, the dynamics weren't yeah. the same. Yeah, Paul McGinley made that point to me somewhere um, when he and Podrick Harrington were great friends and partners for, and and they won the World Cup for Ireland back in the day when, you know, long before Harrington won his majors and McGinley was the kind of senior member of that. But it, it, it changed and evolved and when Harrington became a better player and won what he did and McGinley was a good player but not a great player, it didn't work as well. Yeah. So there's a I think time, the dynamic kind of changes, yeah, doesn't it? There's You've a time to. limit on most things yeah. and I think there is on, on most partnerships. Mm-hmm. Not all, but most. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, obviously, Celine and Georgia um, worked well in, uh, at Glen Eagles and um, at Inverness. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think every partnership has its... I mean, Anna, I think, is... And every player evolves as well. I mean, as you yeah, play that's in more, what I mean. it, it Anna's taken on that real leadership role. Um, you know, obviously had Georgia and then obviously played with Matilda at Inverness. Mm-hmm. How much advice did you take on, on pairings and things? And not just during the matches or just before them, but well before. Who did you talk to and what was the I best really advice? Really just the other vice captains. I mean, obviously for Glen Eagles, I spoke to Paul because he had captained, um, yeah. you know, at Glen Eagles and, and won. And mm-hmm. that was where he came up with the, the stats about the, the foursomes, yeah. which was which was really probably influenced a yeah. few of my pairings. Yeah. And what was the And best I think of- otherwise, I, I think... It, it was more just um, what I had learned over playing in nine. Aye. You know, the things I liked, the things I looked for in a partner. And I think just knowing your players, I think you've got to know your players. And, you know, you'd obviously ask probably a few of the senior ones, you know, who they perhaps might like to play with. And yeah. I remember Paul telling me, um, you know, you can always persuade them to think it's their idea to play with someone. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's a good idea. Was there ever any um, somebody saying, I didn't want to play with somebody? Did you ever get that? Um, Without yeah. naming names, yeah, yeah had that actually. Um, the, uh, Inverness, um, Mel, and I think it's well known. Mel and Leona weren't um, particularly keen to play with each with each other to start with, right. but um, you know managed to persuade them to give it a go, and um, you know it worked out well. I think I think really just because they didn't know each other, and they both had um, a perception of each other which turned out not to be quite what they thought. And what was your reasoning for putting them together? Um, were they the two left over? Were they? <laughs> no, I don't think there were two left over. No, no. I mean, obviously, you were always going to play. I think Anna and Matilda was a great pairing. Um, and then try to think who else. I had Charlie and Emily. Uh, they, you know, they were good friends. Yeah, there's always and, you a know, couple of obvious. It's always um, you know getting a good partner for Charlie. I think is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other pairing was Georgia and Celine, which obviously you were going to try because they played so well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at Glen Eagles. And then obviously Leona was 
was obviously one I was going to play in the in the foursome. She'd been playing really well, and for me, just felt like she was going to be a natural foursomes player. She's a kind of younger version of you, I think, in a lot of ways, right? Temperament wise, I mean, she you know she's very you know focused yeah. and yeah. I mean, she's not the flashiest of players, no. but um, just is a really solid player yeah. who gets it done. So I was always going to play her, and then Mel had been playing well, um, you know, and just felt she would be a good um, you know had that experience um, to play. So just felt I I mean I kind of felt. I don't know what made me think that might be a good pairing, but I just thought it would be, and um, luckily persuaded them to yeah. give it a go. Um, take me inside the team room as much as you want. There's always a bit of mystique about team rooms at these things. Uh, Not certainly. probably as exciting as people no, think. No, I'm sure it isn't, <laughs> but um, that's one thing. Well, you've already told us one thing. Wait, what else What else goes on, and what is it like in there? It's just really quite relaxed. Um, I think Inverness, actually, this year, because of COVID, was actually... It was actually probably really good because it was just sometimes you can get a lot of other people who yeah. kind of trying to get in. Yeah. But this was, we had such a small, I suppose, team, as you would say now with the staff and we all kind of just muck in together. I mean, I think there was probably only about four LET staff running yeah. the whole thing for yeah. us. Yeah. So we just kind of all muck in together. You've got the physios, the caddies, mm-hmm. obviously the, the LET staff, the players, um, so you just all come in and it's just very relaxed, to be honest. Some people... Some people like playing pool, table tennis. I mean, we usually always have a quiz night one night. Right. So um, there's always kind of little things we do, uh, a couple of motivational mid- videos. Yeah. Or not necessarily motivational because no one needs to be motivated, but just funny. just yeah. something fun, just yeah. something to keep you relaxed. Yeah. And then it's just very relaxed. If you want, if people want to go to bed, then go to bed. If others want to stay up later, yeah. you know. You should always let them do whatever just, they normally do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, Ian Woosnam was always the classic example. You know, if Ian, telling Ian Woosnam not to have a couple of pints or whatever, you know, he always has a couple of pints. So yeah. let him yeah. do that. Yeah. yeah. There's no point in changing the rhythm. Of no, it. no. I mean, it's such a strange week and so different from any other week. The closest you can keep it to being similar is best. Yeah. I mean, you know, some of them want to go to the gym, absolutely fine, go and get physio. And that's a great thing. It's all right there. So, I mean, you can come in and out as you please. And who won the quiz night? Not my team. Oh, it was teams. It was oh, teams. Right. Table, yeah. table. It's whoever's at your team. All right. Yeah, I would have thought with your, you know, your degree in accountancy being, <laughs> you would have been right up there. It's such I a... can't remember the questions, but it's pretty random. I think there was a music <laughs> round, so that was a real dead loss for me. Yeah. Um... Inevitably, again, there's yet another inevitable. Um, we need to talk about the the Saudi um, stuff that's been going on. Uh, it's pretty more obviously to do with the men's game. They've had some pretty high profile stuff happening with Mickelson and the rest of it. How have you viewed that um, from the side, if you like? Yeah, I've obviously, just been um, watching from the sidelines. I mean, obviously, the LET. Um, I think it's a, a different Saudi group um, there with Golf Saudi and Aramco, um, which is different. Um, you know, and I've played in those events, and, I, and I've and I've played in Saudi. Um, I think for the the Saudi Golf League, um, just from what I've read from the obviously from the outside, I don't know all the ins and outs, but um, you know, it's as if they were trying to obviously create a tour. Um, to kill off basically probably the PGA Tour and the mm. and the European Tour, so certainly rival it, yeah, yeah, or rival it. So I mean, I suppose like anything, you, you're obviously going to expect the PGA Tour and the European Tour to fight back and and not want it to happen. Um, I mean, the, if the figures that people are throwing about are true, it's just pff, kind of mind blowing yeah. amounts of money. But uh, you, but these guys have mind blowing amounts of money oh, anyway. Yeah, that, that's the intriguing part <laughs> of it. Is, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you've got uh, how many more zeros do you need? <laughs> Exactly, and it, it does prove that if you've got enough money, you can buy anything. 
but it also proves if the players have enough money, they they aren't driven by money anymore. Well, the loan they do something yeah. if they want. Which is, I mean, it, it, as we speak right now, it, things are not looking good for the the Saudi. I mean, the the top players are no, the, ma- all the male players pulled are pulled out now. of it, haven't yeah. they? Yeah, and if any had ever committed, yeah, um, yeah it's. <laughs> I think it's golf is so traditional. I think anything that would come along and try and shake up the kind of ecosystem of golf is it was going to be kind of scary to the tours. Yeah, I think it. it, it the principle it, having a world tour and having more golf outside the US, I can completely. I thought Adam Scott. I listened to an interview he did. Spoke very well about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that principle of trying to get more events. I mean, because these world championship ones, if you're being brutally honest, are. Yeah. What, three of them are in America? Yeah, well, they're dying off as well. But then you could argue the PGA Tour, you know, have done a great job. Tiger, you know. Well, they had Tiger. The, Having Tiger was huge for, for golf in general. You so know. you can kind of see it from both sides. I mean, I would love to see more golf around the world mm-hmm. and the top players coming and playing around the world more. Yeah, I mean, the where do you stand on the, you know, moral human rights aspect of all this? I mean, should sport get involved in that? I don't know. Um I mean, I think all the main, all the companies, all the top companies in the world are probably doing business with Saudi, but mm. they can do it quietly. But yeah. sport, with it being in the spotlight, can't, in a way, do it quietly. Um, personally, I probably think sport should keep out of politics. Um, and then it's a personal decision of the, of the player. This goes a, a bit beyond politics, though. It does go a little bit beyond yeah. politics. I mean, obviously, they've got, a, <laughs> you know, you can't deny they've not got um, a good record mm. um, with human rights. And obviously, I, different things. But um, there are other countries. Would you go and play in China? It, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. there's lots of other. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're right in the sense. I mean, I was in Saudi Arabia two weeks ago at that tournament, and the place I was staying, it was a campus for a university campus. Um, it's kind of a surreal place. I mean, if you've ever seen the Truman Show, it, it, that's what it was like. But the wee supermarket had everything. You know, you could get your bar of Cadbury's dairy milk and whatever else you want, just like mm. you could in this country or America. And when you went to the bathroom, it had Kohler. Right now, now Kohler is big in golfing. He owns Whistling Straits, I think. And, you know, so as you, your yeah. point as well. I mean, made. and I've been there a couple of times and I know going there to play in a golf tournament, you're not seeing the true Saudi, but no, being treated very nice, very it. well yeah. and felt completely safe. And yeah. you could, uh, for me, it's like Dubai maybe 20 years ago. Um, mm. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. Plus, if you... if you, have, It's a very difficult one. I mean, obviously their human rights record isn't good and no. they've probably done a whole lot other things as well, but... Yeah, I mean, if you it, even if you have an Uber... Anytime you have an Uber, you're giving money to the Saudis because mm-hmm. they own basically own Uber. So they're everywhere. It's, it's yeah. hard to escape it. It's hard to escape but, it. But we've all got a line somewhere, you know. But the women's golf are in a very different position vis-a-vis Saudi. I mean, you've you know you've touched on it. The 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 tour the they're heavily into it now. Mm-hmm. It's intriguing actually that the Saudis didn't want to get into women's golf first because they that that was there for the taking, if you like. It's maybe a bad phrase, but the. It would have been a lot easier for them to take over women and fund women's golf and make a world tour, for example. Yeah, potentially yeah. it would it would have been a lot easier. Um, I suppose it all comes down to to media. The men's golf gets more media and more yeah. exposure. So mm-hmm. if they're wanting to put a lot of money in, then maybe want to to try there first. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it is a very difficult one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it leads me to believe that the if they were really, I mean, you could say, are they? You can, you, I mean, it, it could, might sound hypocritical, but could you go there and say, you know, you've played there and, and 
there were women out watching, Saudi women out watching. Mm-hmm. So is that showing that if there's a women's golf tournament there that, you know, women can, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, if you don't go to these countries, will they ever change? Well, that's right. The thing is, my, the other side of that argument yeah, I mean, is there's always two if you sides. give them a wee bit of encouragement, they don't actually do any more. Yeah, they don't change. Yeah. But yeah. 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 So, But yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that the if they were really interested in just doing good things for golf, they would have piled some money into the women's game. But they, that didn't really inter- – they were really far more interested in the big names on the men's side. Mm. And it's, the sport washing accusation gained some mm. credence because of that. They weren't. It wasn't necessarily what was best for golf. It was what was best for them, you know. Which is fair enough. It's their money. But, yeah, yeah, it's their money. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. But, they get, but they. I suppose you could argue they could say they get more exposure. Yeah. For their bucks, mm-hmm. but they're spending more money. Yeah. But do you do you, see, do you foresee the the women's game getting more involved with them if the money's there? Um, I mean, you you kind of need the money more than want it. The women probably would yeah need especially the european tour the ladies european tour mm. um i that's probably for a bit a question for people further up the chain than me well i don't know i'm going I to mean, make you commissioner for the <laughs> what would you do oh, it, yeah i mean i think um obviously i think if you you'd have to be very careful um you know make sure you were dealing with who you thought you were dealing with and um you know I, then i mean yeah yeah. Potentially. I mean, you're already started down yeah, that Yeah, I mean, they've I already mean, got, yeah. we've got what, four or five events sponsored by Aramco. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and Golf Saudi. So, um, anyway, I've kind of dragged you off the, the, the Solheim subject. I want <laughs> to get into far too political. Well, you know, it's good, it's good for you to be asked a hard question. Um, the, the, the Solheim, how do you look back on that now? I mean, and how hard was the decision to, I, I touched on it earlier, to, to do it again? Because, it really couldn't get any better after Glen Eagles. Yeah, but it, you were playing with fire a little bit. <laughs> it, it actually wasn't too difficult. I think I I enjoyed being the captain so much more probably than I thought I perhaps would. Um, and then to do it away from home was was always going to be so different. Yeah. Um, I don't think I wouldn't have done another home game, but I think to do one <clears throat> away from home because it is so different. Um, you know, being away from home and not having the crowds and yeah. and you're not doing as much of the you know promoting of the event. You're you're not quite as involved yeah. in all that. So mm-hmm. it was really just you know when you're doing an away match, it's really just you and the team really. So um, and then as you say, to do something no one's done, it's always yeah, quite nice. Absolutely, <laughs> and the, the must have been a little bit of a downside was that the crowds. We're so, you know, it was all, basically all Americans. There was yeah, great. it was 99. I think we were lucky if we probably had 50 yeah. people there. Yeah. Um, in a way, though, playing away from home is so difficult and you know you're not going to have many of the crowd. You, But this time we kind of knew, and the team, I think they were more prepared in a way because you knew you were going to have no one, basically. In a, way, in a strange sort of way, that actually made it easier because we went there knowing we weren't going to have any support yeah. rather than, oh, we'll have a little, but it's mm. going to be drowned out. Right. Yeah. So you went there and you just knew all you were going to hear was the USA chants and them, which fair enough, cheering on their own team. So in a way that you, mm-hmm. it was just what you expected. And I think the players just kind of put their heads down and, and got on with it. Mm-hmm. I did. I must admit, I was watching on telly and I did laugh out loud. I mean, I literally laughed out loud at the end when you were all there with a the cup and there was nobody there. I mean, the American crowd, they were gone. You know, they yep. had no interest in watching <clears> you Perhaps still like losing. Yeah. Because uh, I... Even, I mean, obviously at Glen Eagles, if we hadn't won, we, there wouldn't have been as many people there at the end, but I would have hoped there would have been some stayed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. But yeah, I mean, that actually, what we all commented on that as well. I think when Emily hold that putt on 18, you know, to beat Danielle, 
And then you saw our whole team, kind of everyone, the caddies, yeah. the physios. Yeah, yeah. That was basically our, yeah. our support. That uh, was the European team. And um, in fact, a lady the next day, I was delayed in Toledo for a day coming home. And she actually apologized. She said, oh, I came to the... I'm very sorry everyone left. <laughs> yeah, but they did the same at Medina. I remember watching them streaming out at Medina at the Ryder <clears> Cup. <throat> When they had the the miracle, if you like, but mm. they, they were well, there was hardly anybody there. It was literally when Matilda held that putt um, for us to retain it, and then it was probably forty minutes till Emily finished, and literally fifty, however many, sixty thousand people yeah. literally left in yeah. that amount yeah. in that time. Yeah. Was there any doubt in your mind about not doing it again? That was enough. No, I was always just the yeah. When, when I took it on, the right thing, I think. when I took it on for the second time. I knew that was I wasn't going to do it again, win or lose. Um, I think it's just it's one of those things that's such an honour to do um, that other people deserve that chance. I think you can do it yeah. for too long. You don't want to do it for too long, and then people no. start resenting Home you. Home and away is fine. You know. Home and away was great. Had a great run, um, <coughs> but then you could you. I mean, you, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. You could see people lining up to do it and yeah. have their chance, which they fully deserve. And yeah, Suzanne obviously was. Pretty kind of there, success. it was pretty obvious, you know, she was going to do it. Yeah. And then probably the next few will yeah. be fairly obvious. I would imagine her style will be slightly different from yours. Is that fair? It could well be. We'll find out. <laughs> She's always had more to say, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> or more obviously to say, put it that way. Yeah. 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 I think in a way all, we're all very similar in, us in the in the same sort of way. We're all just kind of super competitive people. Um you know, I think that we're all far more similar than perhaps people ah, think. Yeah, internally, yeah. yes. Yeah, more than there's a great variety of mm. external, you know, ways of showing it, but yeah. Yeah, I think we all have the same competitiveness. We all have the same kind of demons, as you would say, in your head as golfers. So um, people just show it in different ways. Yeah. Has she been at you for any advice? She was uh, around, she saw how you did it. Really. Yeah, I had a dinner with her uh, just before, uh, you know, she was announced as captain. So um, it's still a long way off. Aye, yeah. Yeah. It's really next year, uh, you know, when she starts um, formulating her team, seeing how it's developing. To win again as well. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, as anyone knows, Ed, what is it, a year and a half? A year and a half in golf's a long time. I mean, obviously, you know, the Americans have started pretty strongly this year, but how people are playing now really is fairly irrelevant. Yeah. How, how did you do when it came to the picks? Where, where you did you you had to be kind of brutal. I mean, you have to be inevitably. You, there's somebody going to be disappointed wherever you draw the line. Yeah. What was yeah. that like? I mean, I think no matter how many picks you have, it's always probably the last one that's always going to be tricky. Yeah. Uh, your first probably, well, however many obvious. you have, are yeah. pretty obvious. Um, and then it's always going to come down to probably one, two, three people for that last spot, which is always difficult. Yeah. I remember having to phone Mel. Um, and telling her she wasn't in the team, which was which was difficult. That was the Glen Eagles team. That yeah. was at Glen Eagles. Yeah. yeah, that was probably the the most difficult conversation there. Mm. Um, but you know, great on Mel, and I think that just shows how much she loves the Solheim. That you know, I asked her, "Do you want to be vice captain?" And she said, "Yes." Yeah. Um, so I think that shows great volumes for Mel, actually. Um, and then this last one, probably to be fair, was slightly easier. I mean, obviously there were some players who were disappointed, um, you know, the Sana Nutin who just missed out. Um, but things, for me personally, I felt just fell into place at the British. Yeah. And, and I probably got the 12. And there was more changes. I probably got the 12 I would I want, I got, I wanted, actually. To well, go to be on. fair, I wrote it down and I got it right, mm. which says something because it's not, it's not easy to do no. you know it, no. it was pretty obvious <clears throat> not, no, any credit, not any credit to me it, it was just that it, it, yeah. that was kind of the there best was no team. there was no Suzanne pick <laughs> no exactly yeah that well we, before we leave the Solheim that, that's the, the obvious question is 
what the hell were you thinking when you when well, you to did me, that? Well, to me, that wasn't a bizarre pick at all. Yeah. And uh, obviously, uh, Laura and Catherine thought the same. We all, from, I remember in Phoenix, um, what's that, in March um, of the year of 19, um, Laura, Catherine, Catherine was caddying for me there, actually, and Laura and myself were playing and we sent a little video to Suzanne saying, come on, get your clubs out. We want you in that team kind of thing. So we, it was always there in our minds right. that we would want more, her in more the team. More than in hers, maybe, is it? Probably more than in hers, yeah. 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 And then I remember I played with her at the Dow, um, which she had committed that was going to be one she played in. Um, that, that's the team thing. The team one, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was, play- I mean, you don't go from, mm-hmm. I mean, and I had come back, obviously, to play after having children. So I knew it you know, it could easily be done. I think, especially with your first child, you always have doubts that, will you, would you come, you know, will you come back? Will you be able to play? Will you have that competitive fire still? Yeah. Um, she had plenty of that, though. She had plenty <laughs> of that. And we played with Anna and Caroline Headwall and members asking them, you know, after the first round, I said, well, I said to Anna, what do you think? And she says, oh, we need to have her in the team. So, I mean, for us, it was really, I know it wasn't a yeah. strange pick at all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but you put her her under a lot of pressure did did she ever comment on that to you i mean, I mean no i mean i think um i mean it, i think suzanne was she had to justify it you know that was the hard part for her well i told her she didn't well really but, but she well, would be thinking she would, that she would yeah, yeah yeah i mean i think suzanne would have been was had played in enough and knew that if she wasn't playing well enough she wouldn't have said she would have said look don't i'm not going to play yeah and we knew that you know when i i knew that kind of when i asked her that because I knew I would have said, if I had known I wasn't playing well enough. Yeah, you would have. Yeah. I would have said. And match play is different. You're not having to string four rounds together. Sorry. If you have a bad hole, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I said. I said, look, you're not going to have to go out there. You, you know, not going to play your foursomes. Yeah. Uh, play you in the four ball, you know. Yeah, which, she, yeah she could hit one off the planet. You could hit, it wouldn't matter. You could yeah. hit the odd bad shot and it's not going to matter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The match play aspect definitely mm-hmm. helped, yeah. And it certainly worked out. And then the four ball, I don't think it's quite as much pressure. I think I think it would have been probably silly to try and play her in foursomes where yeah. a lot more pressure on every That's shot. Right. Yeah, I mean, I've said this many times, but the <clears> hardest <throat> thing, I think, almost the hardest thing in golf is playing foursomes with somebody who's playing better than you are. You know, that's it very, puts yeah, you a lot of stress. Feel comfortable. Well, I think yeah. that's on the person who's playing well to make the other person well, feel comfortable. That's true, but you're still going to feel it. You know, you're still going to feel it. Yeah. But yeah, I'm a great. I love foursomes. <laughs> yeah, also, I would, yeah, so did I. Yeah. Mm. It, was, it was a good. Um, it was a great exercise. Probably because it's more a mental game than yeah. four ball in a yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this far or the four ball. I don't think four ball is a good game at all because one guy can win it. The classic example being Nicholas Colsarts at Medina when he played with Lee Westwood. He went round and some just birdied every hole just about. But then you could argue that he did that because Lee was knocking well, out pars and it like, well, gave him possibly. Yeah, the yeah. freedom. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah. I always think that's a bit. Yeah. I never kind of like that when someone says, "Oh, they won it," because oh. you never quite know what they, yeah. the other person. Well, it was just that, that it was a ridiculous yeah. number of putts yeah. he holds, yeah. you know. So, but it's giving them that freedom, isn't ah, it? Yeah, true enough. Yeah, so Lee Westwood's yeah whole manner might have helped him. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah so. Anyway, we've done a lot of looking back. Yeah, just to finish up, um, let's <laughs> look forward a wee bit. Um, where are you just now? And are you going to play much more golf, or what's your plans? Um. You know, it's all kind of a little bit up in the air. Um, I'm obviously going to play, I'll play the Senior Open. Um, I might play, you know, a couple of European events. Um, ideally, the team events, just a little bit less pressure on you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I enjoyed them last year. I mm-hmm. uh, had a great time in New York with uh, Trish and Alison Lee. Uh, so they were great fun. Really enjoyed that. Um, and then I'll play Muirfield. Um, 
you know, it's here. It's a home home it's, game it's for me, as you say. Yeah. The women's open. So, um, you know, I'm I'm kind of. Would I played in the British this year if it wasn't at Muirfield? I don't know. Um, it would have maybe just depended where my game was. But um, you know, I got to the stage in my last probably two three years on tour where, you know, I really I wasn't enjoying golf at all. I think. Um, I think you maybe only have so long at the top of the game and then um, the nerves kind of hit in and, you know, you're not hitting the shots you want to hit. And Mm -hmm. it's not that I couldn't hit them. I just couldn't do it under the pressure, which was always probably a great thing of mine that I could produce the shot under the pressure. Mm -hmm. And that was just... um, Have you found the putting a bit more of an issue as you've gotten older? Most people do. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's just... it's just. um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I can still go out and play well, you know, it's just doing it under the pressure, which is what um, separates. It's what separates, because at the end of the day, you could go to a tour site and walk down the range and everyone swings it good. Everyone hits it well. It's who can do it under the pressure. Yeah, and I think that's the thing as you get older that perhaps you lose. You don't, It's not that you lose your golf game as such. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's you belief. lose the ability to do it under the pressure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting. So we're not, uh, I shouldn't expect any, a retirement announcement so you'll never really do that or never really retire you just fade away will you? yeah just fade, fade away gracefully yes. <laughs> or not <laughs> yeah well that's a good way to finish Beanie thank you very much for your time It's uh, it's been fun thanks very much John I reckon if you look up class in the dictionary you might just find a picture of Katrina Matthew understated thoughtful eloquent she might not be a headline grabber but as I think she showed there in that interview a golfer well worth listening to That wraps up episode 60 of the pod, but make sure not to miss our next episode when we sit down with one of the great characters of Australian professional golf, Vaughan Summers. He's the ugliest player to ever win. He, he, he never, ever looked like a good player. I played a really lot of golf with him and, and just the most marvellous professional, the most marvellous person to play with, the most marvellous preparer and the least affected by anything his game ever did by a mile the least affected he hit some of the worst shots playing well i've ever seen and he'd look at him like walk off like it was the best shot you've ever seen which major champion could he be talking about tune in to find out next time on the thing about golf <laughs>